In this episode, I discuss high stress occupations and how that might affect our ability to think critically. I will discuss the mechanics of what's happening through the political theory to give you some clarity on a more of a professional level. And then I'll share an example of a time when I was able to diffuse a potentially explosive crisis situation in a high school to illustrate what the heck I am talking about further. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist that thinks the world needs a new paradigm for mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. As always, this podcast is not therapy, nor intended to be a replacement for it, nor is this professional consultation, just my general thoughts, and only for general situations. Uh, This one, I think, especially for those in helping professions that deal with crises regularly, uh, but no matter your role, you are more than welcome to listen in. Welcome. This could easily be for parents and teachers as well. So I got this uh, message on Instagram from Gemma, maybe Gemma. I'm, I'm assuming Gemma with a G. Gemma says, hi, I'm very new to polyvagal theory and have started with your podcast. That's a good place to start. Good job. Good on you, uh, Gemma. I have a question, though, if you wouldn't mind. I'm a psychiatric nurse in an adult male psychiatric intensive care unit. An awful lot of my 13-hour shifts involve being exposed to very high levels of violence and aggression, sometimes aimed directly at myself, sometimes not. Am I just asking for trouble doing this job by consistently triggering my flight, fight, freeze response? You say how rational thinking goes out the window when you're under threat, but I constantly have to think rationally under threat to keep everyone safe. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Gemma. So really good question. Something I have, um, I feel like I have uh, something to lend as far as personally, but also um, just through the lens of the political theory as well. So working in a psychiatric ward, crisis unit, uh, being a police officer, working on an ambulance, nurses, all kinds of jobs have lots and lots of direct crisis level kind of work involved in them, like frontline work. Uh, Not just psychiatric ward, but all these different kinds of jobs. I I would say even uh, teachers to a pretty large extent deal with like crises, pretty regularly school counselors. And for these types of jobs, we have to stay active and we have to stay mobile, right? So does that activate our flight fight state? Absolutely. I worked as a guard slash counselor. We were called counselors, but really it was more of a a guard in a non-lockdown juvenile hall facility uh, for San Francisco County. It was um, when the the kids couldn't make it in or their offense was too great for the regular population of juvenile hall in San Francisco. They would send them to this place called the Log Cabin Ranch, which was just for higher level offenses. And it wasn't locked down, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So if they tried to escape, there's a good chance they would not make it uh, back to civilization. So I have some direct experience right now. I'm a therapist in a public school district and crises happen pretty darn often. So yeah, do we have to stay active in those types of jobs? Definitely. But there are jobs where that are high stress, that maybe a lot of jobs are high stress, that are not mobile, that don't require a lot of mobility. Like I said, I'm a therapist in a school district. We sit down for most of the day. We don't really have to be super mobile. 
But depending on what classroom you're in and what age you work with, you might be more mobile than not. I, I do a lot of one-on-one sit-down therapy. So a lot of stress, a lot of flight fight activation, I mean, but not a lot of mobility. There have definitely been days where I feel like I've just kind of got my butt kicked. Like I'm just, it's emotionally draining. Not like It could be draining, but also it could just be activating. And what we want here is not too much defensive activation. We want enough to deal with the situation, but not so much that we're out of our safety state. And if that happens, the safety states, if, if we get too far into our defensive state, that means the safety state is inactive. And that is the bagel break. Real quick, the bagel break is the influence of our social engagement system on our heart. The social engagement system, the ventral vagal pathways, if they're active, that keeps our heartbeat at a calmer pace, which keeps our defensive behaviors and feelings, sensations, all these things more at bay. Uh, thoughts, those kind of things get calmed down as long as our vagal break is active, meaning as long as our safety state, our social engagement system, is on. So being mobilized or being in a sympathetic state is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's not necessarily a destructive thing. Having access to those pathways is not even necessarily a defensive thing. It just means they're activated, but as long as the safety stays active, as long as the bagel break is active, then when we access those more defensive energies, the flight fight uh, shutdown, those get repurposed for more like pro-social uh, uses. Or we can use a high amount of flight fight energy, but for a specific purpose that might require more, it requires more mobilization. So if you have a job where you have to physically restrain uh, a population that is potentially violent toward another, you're going to need some mobilization or a lot of mobilization activated. But ideally, we have that activation along with our safety pathways being activated as well. If not, then it's just defensive energy. Then it's just flight fight. So if you're mobilized without the safety set active, then the body's just in a flight fight kind of state. And that's where things can go definitely horribly wrong. So if you're working in a psychiatric ward, if you're working as a therapist, if you're working as a police officer, any of these jobs, you have to have that safety state active. And it's not like a light switch. You don't just turn it off and on. It's ideally strong enough to be kind of on uh, at a baseline, just kind of constantly, which another way to put this is that you have a greater window of tolerance. Hopefully your resilience, your safety state is, is built up uh, enough to where you have more distress tolerance or more resilience. If not, then any of these situations that are potentially big crisis situations, any of these situations are going to trigger somebody into their more mobilized flight fight energy, and that person won't be able to contain it and then, re and then repurpose it or use it to deal with these real-life situations that come up. So is somebody asking for trouble by going into these jobs? No, not necessarily. I, th I think uh, some of us can do it. And it's not really, it's challenging, but maybe not as much as for other people. I've talked with officers who say like, look, either you can do this or you can't. And we, we were presenting, uh, Mercedes and I, she used to be a co-host for this podcast. 
we were presenting to police officers and we were kind of you know talking with them openly. It was a really cool discussion about how they maintain access to their own safety system and how they don't you know take things too far because it does require a lot of flight fight energy. And they said, look, some of us can handle this and we're born for this and some of us just don't belong here. And that's kind of how they, they framed it. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's necessarily setting yourself up for failure if you go into these types of jobs. It's just, can you handle it or not? And you, can, you have to really be honest with yourself in general, but also maybe that day, that moment, before you step into something, can I handle this? So when it comes to rational thinking and these defensive states, I did say, I have said, that rational thinking goes out the window. I probably said something like that. And yeah, that, that's pretty much true. If, if you don't have access to your safety state, you don't exactly think critically. So you have to have access to your safety state. You can absolutely be mobilized. You can absolutely be in your flight fight state. You can absolutely have access to that sympathetic state. But you also have to have access to the top of the polyvagal ladder, the safety state. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, polyvagal 101 on my website is a really good introduction to this. Actually, not, not introduction, but a really good primer on polyvagal theory. I do also have a deep dive on this podcast, episode 101 through, through 109. So yeah, uh, thinking critically, that's kind of offline. You don't really have access to thinking critically unless your safety state's active. That's where that comes from. So as long as your vagal break is on, then critical thinking is, is possible. Rational thinking is possible. If the vagal break is off, which is the social engagement system, if that's off, then no, critical thinking is pretty much not going to happen. So these defensive states are not bad. It's not a it's not a bad thing. I know I keep saying bad like very simplistic terms. I guess it's the easiest way. No, it's not a necessarily destructive thing or dysfunctional thing to, or maladaptive thing to access these defensive states. It just depends on whether or not you have access. Also, at the same time, with your uh, safety state. So you you have to stay grounded in your safety state. So let me ask you, uh, what keeps you at, grounded in your safety state? What helps you to feel safe? That's something that we have to know, whether you're in these jobs or not. You really have to know what keeps you anchored in your social engagement system, your safety state. And if you have no idea what brings you to safety, I have a course called Building Safety Anchors that could be of help. Right now, I have a 30-day version and a self-paced version. Same content, same material in both of them. Uh, It's just the pacing's different. But if you have no idea what safety feels like or how to get there, building safety anchors can be a really big help to you in building your capacity to identify safety and to stay in safety as well. You can find that on justinlmft.com. I'll also have a link in the description. So I've worked in these situations before as a therapist. Um, Crises things come up pretty often. And maybe that's like sitting one-on-one with somebody and they come in and they're in some sort of crisis that happens a lot this year. A lot of panicky kind of things have been coming up for students. It seems like that's been happening more often than in the past. But there's also times where I'm just walking through the campus and something's going on and they need uh, a therapist. They need me to, to run in and basically help out. That's definitely come up a handful of times this year alone. So there was this one example I'm thinking about where I was simply leaving my building, left my office, left the building that, that you know the office is in 
simply walking through the campus going, I don't know where I was going, but going somewhere. And I could hear somebody, a male voice, just like yelling and screaming, blowing up all around the school, just kind of yelling. Pretty small school, but still, I could hear this this person just yelling. So his vagal break was off. He had lost his capacity to socially engage. He had lost the capacity to feel safe. He was not feeling safe whatsoever. Probably more of a fight state. You could tell by the tone of voice that the intent was to get people to back off. And this was before I even saw him. But as he's yelling, he's violating school norms. He's violating social norms. This is how you can tell. If if you can't follow basic norms, then you're probably out of your uh, safety state. Your your vagal break is probably turned off. There was no vocal prosody. There was no sing-song equality of his voice. So you could tell that this person's in a dysregulated state without, so they don't have their safety state active. So once I saw him, uh, I could see two security guards that were attempting to calm him down. And I think they were trying to like corral him, sort of guide him a certain direction. But what they didn't realize was, and this makes sense because he was, by the tone of his voice, I could tell he was trying to get people to back off. That that was kind of my, my impression of it. And so when I saw that, that made sense. So they didn't realize it, but they were actually boxing him in. Uh, they were attempting to corral him, but with their bodies, they were actually reducing his options for where he could go. So that increases his flight fight state, specifically more the uh, fight. Because if you can't run away, you drop down the polyvagal ladder into the fight state. So they had cut off his capacity to escape the situation. Not intentionally, but they had cut off his capacity to escape the situation. If you can't be safe, if you can't run away, then you uh, drop down into the fight behaviors. doesn't mean you're actually hitting people. That might mean you're just raising your voice in an attempt to get them to back off. And that's kind of what was happening here. So I heard this. I saw this. Didn't feel right to ignore it. Walked over there. I said, hey, can I help out? I kept my distance. Gave uh, everybody lots of distance because I didn't want to uh, increase the pressure of the situation or make this person feel more contained uh, than they already were. So I said, hey, can I help out? And I made sure to ask security that because I wanted the student to know, hey, I'm respecting the authority here, uh, the uh, hierarchy that I mean. Security said it was okay. Uh, they said, yeah, please do so. It was kind of just simple exchange, nothing, nothing too extravagant about that. And so at first they backed off. Uh, and at first I had given the student a lot of distance. I engaged with him, made eye contact. Uh, but I gave him a lot of distance. Because when you're in flight fight, you need space. The entire point of flight fight is to increase space so that you can get away and get to safety. And if you can't run away from from it, you actually get closer through aggression, through voice, or through physical means uh, in order to create space and then escape and then get to safety. So I made eye contact with the student, and I really want to make sure it was gentle eye contact. I wasn't staring him down. I wasn't grimacing. I wasn't... Uh, making threatening faces whatsoever. Uh, I was making gentle eye contact, focused on him, uh, direct. So I wasn't avoiding eye contact. I was making eye contact. I was making sure it wasn't staring. I wasn't wide-eyed. I wasn't uh, doing all those things, but just I was giving him eye contact. I wanted him to know, hey, I'm here. I see you. I also gave him vocal prosody. I made sure to, I wasn't singing, but I made sure to show or show him through my voice that I'm safe. 
by using a greater range of voice. Like, hey, how's it going, man? Like, how, are you doing okay? Those kinds of things. Hey, what's going on? I, I forget exactly what I said, but kind of like that. It wasn't like, hey, get back in class or, hey, what's, what are you doing? What are you up to? It wasn't like sharp like that. It was, hey, what's going on? How are we doing? Something like that. But also I showed him my hands. I didn't want him, my hands to be hidden. Uh, I put them out in the open uh, just so he could see, hey, I'm safe. Here's my hands. Nothing fishy going on here. I'm not going to surprise you with anything. Uh, but also uh, gave him a lot of facial affect. So I wasn't, you know, monotone uh, voice, but also not flat affect in my face. Uh, so I gave him a lot of facial affect. I was moving my, my, my facial muscles, not too much to where it was fake, but I did want to make sure he saw my eyebrows moving. And uh, I think I was sneaking in some smiles here and there, not inappropriate, like uh, in a mocking way, uh, but just smiling. Like, hey, what's going on? Are we doing okay? Uh, my name is Justin and smiling along with it, some stuff like that. But yeah, I asked him what was going on. I wanted to hear from him, give him a chance to start talking from his point of view about what was going on. He wasn't running away. He wasn't fighting me right away. He was willing to engage. At first he was ranting and yelling about the staff and that's okay. It wasn't my job to correct him. And I didn't know the reality of the situation anyways. Um, that doesn't, didn't matter at that moment. So at first he just, he needed to yell and rant. He was still in a fight state. So we had to let that kind of play out. And as long as I can give him all my safety cues while he's doing that, it's, that's not a big deal. And my safety cues can help provide co-regulation, which can help him to re-regulate, uh, especially if he's able to voice what he's going through and, and with someone that seems like they're okay with his intensity and can tolerate it, that can help to contain it. So I didn't argue with him, didn't question him, just let him vent for a moment. And all this was helping me to quickly build rapport and to build safety through my safety cues that I was giving him. So the, the point here is to engage, not to problem solve, not to get him to do something in particular. Uh, I'm just looking for opportunities for connection and simply hearing people out. Uh, and, you know, if he needs to yell, that, that was fine. It, it ended pretty quickly. It wasn't that prolonged of a thing. Uh, so he was pretty upset. And that's, that's totally fine. So the point here is to connect with him, is not to get him to do something. So once I felt like, hey, we have a connection here built up, and this is Pretty rapid, uh, pretty rapid build because I, I don't want him staying in the middle of school yelling, obviously. So I made rapid kind of rapport and, and connection with him. Uh, let him see, hey, I'm a, I'm a safe person. I can contain you, not physically, but you're, emotionally I can tolerate how much emotion you have and be okay with it. That's what I mean, kind of contain emotionally. So I rapid rapport building. Uh, I invited him to come with me to walk away from security. I said, hey, let, why don't we leave this space. Let's go on over here. I have a place a little more quiet. It was still out in the open. I didn't think it was a good idea to bring him indoors, especially in my office, which was a lot smaller space. Uh, being outside was probably a good idea. Uh, it was a nice day. That was probably the best thing to do was give him uh, space to move, uh, to breathe, you know, fresh air to breathe. And this is all pre-COVID, by the way. So I invited him to walk down with me. Hey, come on over here. So I think having that safe leadership quality was also a good thing. I wasn't commanding him. It was, hey, I, I got you emotionally or contained. Nothing to stress out about here as far as you and me. Come on over with me. Let's, let's talk about this over here. So gave him space. Tried to connect with him continually. Uh, kept giving him cues of safety along with, I was giving him my prosody, my fuller range of voice, but I was also being pretty darn direct. I'm not sure if intense is the right word, but it's like, hey man, what's going on? Like there's, there's some prosody in there. 
I, mean, I, I can see you're upset and it's okay. Like, tell me about it. So there's some prosody there, but it's also very direct. Uh, it's not commanding. It's, it's more inviting. And the fact that I can match his tone of voice without losing control, I think is a signal to him that I'm a safe person. So I was matching his energy. And as, as he's talking, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying. So as he's going off about who did what, I'm not agreeing with him. I'm just paraphrasing. Like this, this is what I'm hearing you say. And, and so that helps him to feel listened to. And if someone understands him, that can help him calm down as well. So I kept doing these things. I also normalized and I validated uh, his feelings and his experiences. I did, it's not about agreeing with him. I, I, at no point did I say, yeah, you're right and you should act that way. Uh, at no point did I say, yeah, the school did mess up and this is how they should treat you or, or whatever. Because I, I, the facts of the situation simply didn't matter at that moment. But no, it was more about me saying, I, I could see where you're coming from. So normalizing, validating. Uh, anybody would react in the same situation. It's not agreeing. It's just saying, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. And I can see why you're reacting that way. And yeah, that seems like a pretty normal reaction based on what you're telling me. So he told me about the things that were going on, but he also told me about how much stress, uh, stress and pressure he was under. I think he was 18, maybe 19. And he was under a lot of pressure to graduate. He was going to be the first um, st- kid from his uh, family to graduate high school. So there was a lot of expectations there for him. And most of it, I think he was putting on himself. Uh, definitely from family as well, but it meant a lot to him to be the first graduate. And he knew he had messed around a lot. And he had procrastinated a lot and missed a lot of school, he was telling me. And it was like crunch time. It was really down to his last couple of weeks to get stuff done. And he was under a lot of stress. I don't remember what set off this whole thing, but but uh, I think all the stress he was under, plus now he's in this situation where he's making his life worse by yelling and whatnot. He, he was probably feeling a lot uh, in that moment. But even before that, he was already under a whole bunch of stress and pressure. So plus other family dysfunction, family stress kind of stuff that all the students I meet with have. Some level of that going on. Uh, but he had family dysfunction stuff going on. He had all this pressure, all this stress. And then he kind of blew up based on whatever the context was that kind of got him there. So he was able to, he wasn't calm, but he was calmer. He was able to lower his voice. He was able to share some eye contact with, eye contact with me here and there. Not sustained because he wasn't fully accessing a safety state, but more and more. It, it was growing. Uh, so his mom had been called, and then she showed up. Now, while I'm talking to him, I knew she was on the way. I think he had called her. I, I can't remember. Or te- texted her, maybe. So I'm, if you work in public schools, you know that parents are uh, very loving, we'll say. And they can go off on school staff if they perceive that their kids are being mistreated or under some sort of danger. And it's... Uh, not not a great situation. It's not a situation you want to be in. So I knew she was on the way. I had no idea who she was. I had no idea how she was. All I know was the first thing that I wanted for her when she came to that school was to see her son and that he was okay. So that was another reason why I wanted to stay outside and remain outside. And I actually positioned us at a, a spot right out, right outside the front gate. Very, very close so that when she arrived, we'd be able to see her probably before she saw us and we meet her at the front gate. So I was trying to manage his emotions, uh, contain them, provide all of these things I'm providing, plus anticipating what mom's going to need once she arrives. Um, so yeah, I made sure she saw us right off the bat and met her at the front gate. 
uh, immediately, and as a parent, I know, I want to know what the hell is going on. So immediately when we saw her, I went up to her, introduced myself, same cues of safety, and right off the bat said, hey, this is the situation. This is, this is what's going on. And then the principal came out and started talking with her. I'm not saying she was super happy, but I know that the things that I did in that situation were helpful for her to uh, stay calm enough to not go off on myself or the principal or anybody else. This was a kid who didn't really have any problems at the school behaviorally. Yeah, he had missed a lot of school from what he was telling me. But he didn't really have any other behavior problems at this school. But this easily could have gotten a lot worse. I think school staff, but a lot of us in these kinds of jobs look for control. We look for containment. We look for compliance. And I I get that. I totally get that. And things go through our mind about safety and interrupting other people's classes. And that's all valid. Absolutely. But this could have gotten a lot worse. Um, if, if I wasn't there, hopefully somebody else would have been able to step in and help to contain. Uh, but that may not have happened also, especially when it comes to security. Security is not always trained on how to effectively deal with these types of situations. It's more about getting it to stop rather than connecting and building a relationship and then dealing with the problem. And I get that. I totally get that. But there's a lot of validity also to that relationship building first and then solving a problem and then looking for, uh, I guess, compliance. Now, if I had gone into this, now I was nervous when I I saw this happening. I had some nervousness. I was like, because I had no idea who the kid was, what he was capable of, his history, nothing at all. But it was something I thought I could help out in. If I had just come from my nervous flight fight energy, I don't think I would have been helpful. If I, in that moment, I had not been more well-regulated, I probably just would have added to the problem. I probably would have just added to trying to get him to do what the school as a entity wanted him to do, which was to be quiet and go back to class. Luckily, I was in my own safe and social state, well-regulated, and was able to offer that to him and help mitigate the situation that wouldn't have got basically it just it would not have gone well if i came from a flight fight uh control kind of place so that's my example of what it could look like in these situations and how important it is to remain in your own safety state so if you have these jobs that require you to be more mobilized it's it's more of a challenge i don't deal with those situations every day i deal with them often i guess a lot of my colleagues deal with these every day. I don't, but I deal with them often, but I'm also someone who's like well-regulated enough. And when it comes to these situations, I kind of thrive. I, I kind of like them for some reason. When someone is, now this is not permission for people to email me and call me, please don't do that. But when, I, when I'm at my daytime work or my nighttime therapy uh, work, when it comes to these high crisis situations, I kind of like it. And I find myself becoming more mobilized, but being able to tolerate it and effectively utilize that energy toward helping someone to get back to a baseline or whatever needs to happen in that moment. So that's uh, that's me. And I think it's when it comes to these types of jobs, you really have to know yourself and, and ask yourself, is this something that I can handle? Because it will be. Uh, draining. And that's just, that's my job. I don't work in like a psychiatric unit. I don't work as a police officer. So these jobs, I'm not on an ambulance. These jobs will absolutely test your capacity to stay in your safety state. 
So are you asking for trouble? I mean, if you're not prepared for it, absolutely. But if you know that this is something you can handle and stay well-regulated and recover from it at the end of the day and do it all over again, I mean, that, that's that's your call. Um, I don't know if you're asking for trouble at that point, but you're definitely asking to test what you can handle, and that's not for everybody, I don't think. That's it. Those, those are my thoughts. Thank you, fellow stuck, not so much for listening. I do hope that you've learned something You've gotten something out of this, whether professionally or even personally. Uh, Follow or subscribe on whatever platform you are listening or watching on. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.